I don't know if I should do Pascal Siakam or do the trades. Maybe do the trades. <laughs> Looks up the trades. <laughs> Peterson putting into sport mode. A hat trick for Feather. Hughes Jones. Girls aren't as fast as boys. Canucks. It's pronounced Canucks. I don't know hockey stuff that well. You play ball like a girl. Hi, friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the Broadcast. Thanks for joining us, your local hockey girl gang. And we're here to talk to you today about hockey, more about other sports, sports culture, and whatever's going on in our brains this week. I'm Danny, your host, and I'm joined by... I'm Sam. Vanessa. Georgia. And Mallory. All right, so let's kick it off with our highs and lows of the week. Okay, this week's low is not actually a message from anyone, um, because like I said last week, I've now actually just blocked everyone who normally hates us because I'm over it. Um, But I don't know if anyone else has this problem, but when I tweet something and you can now see your retweets and your quote tweets, I keep getting quote tweets from private accounts and it shows up on your counter. So you know someone has quote tweeted you, but you can't see what they said about your tweet unless you follow them. And I hate it. It drives me totally batshit crazy because I have like I have a compulsion like I need to know what they're saying if you're gonna quote tweet something that I tweeted and make a comment about it I should get to see that yeah there's like a there's a new trend where people have like a private account that accompanies their personal like their normal one and I know people have that and they do a lot of shit talking on there (laughs) so when I see a quote tweet I just also assume that people hate me so I end up deleting the tweet I get too paranoid. (laughs) For everyone who's been quote tweeting me from their private account, stop being such a fucking coward and just tag me in it and let me see what you're saying. That's my low. Um, The high is really good this week, guys. We got a DM from Tyler Mott, our son. I feel this is a low because I don't want (laughs) um, people to observe us. Yeah. Like, I don't want him to be like, why do you keep insulting my nice friend, Jake? And it's like, I don't think they're I just assume that Tyler has really good taste and doesn't like Jake. So the high was he DM'd us to say that he thought the broadcast Mott Girl Summer merch was amazing and wanted to know more about the initiatives we were donating money to. And then he also followed us, at which point my reaction was, like Mel said, Tyler, do not read our tweets. Like, just, just don't do it. It's fine. We love you, but don't do it. But yeah, that's that's our high of the week is Tyler Mott now knows we exist and he told us he was going to buy some Mott Girl Summer merch. So hopefully we see him in it doing some media when he re-signs with the Canucks. I feel like that's the high of the podcast. Just the entirety. That's all downhill from here. High of the podcast will be when we get Danny on The Bachelor, but currently that is the high. <laughs> But yeah, those are this week's highs and lows. Um, just to remind everyone, don't forget to hit subscribe. Or if you have subscribed, you can always unsubscribe and resubscribe. Uh, leave us a five-star rating and whatever comments you want, and I will read them. Uh, lots of fun hockey going on. Lots of white dudes on skates running into each other at full speed. Let's do that hockey. 
All right. So that takes us into our hockey slash sports in general, because this is the off season. And to be honest, hockey's been really boring. And the NFL started week one last week. And it was a bit of a letdown for me as a 49ers fan, because they were probably the biggest upset of the week in their loss to the Arizona Cardinals. So they're trash and that's fun. But remember, I did say they would not make the playoffs. So we'll stick with that. And also there was the old man battle of Tom Brady and Drew Brees. And they both look like absolute garbage. Just crap. I don't know why the Bucks had all this hype, like why people thought Gronk would be good. He looked like a slow old robot out there. Like he could barely move properly. Uh, yeah, they did not look good whatsoever. Their O-line did not look good. Their defense did not look good. Drew Brees didn't even look good in that win. I don't know what they're going to do. That, so that was just fun to see the, the battle of the old men and the old whites get all upset when their legends are crumbling and before their eyes. Also, for the upcoming week, for all the Seahawks fans out there, the game of the week, in my opinion, is Russell Wilson versus Cam Newton. Go Cam. I never thought I would cheer for the Patriots, but here we are. And yeah, so that is Sunday Night Football, so tune into that one, and we shall see who remains superior from that draft class. And also, who made his debut last week was Joe Burrow, the rookie stud first overall draft pick, playing for the Bengals. He led them on an amazing drive, which should have tied the game up to send it to overtime. However, the kicker blew it and missed the extra point, so no overtime. And he did. We did. He robbed us of seeing Joe Burrow. I just. In overtime. I just need to talk about the sexual charisma of Joe Burrow, which is like really concerning. He's three years younger than me, so it's not that creepy. But the man is a sex god. I don't know if anyone's watched the video. I'm sure everyone has of him with a cigar after he won. What is it? The national championship? <laughs> I don't even know. Changed my life. I, <laughs> I am that person I honestly think. You know those girls that go to the One Direction concerts and faint? I would do that for Joe Burrow. <laughs> like, without fail. <laughs> Just being around his... Just being around his aura. You can't let, like, Georgia go see Joe Burrow because, like, dying in, like, Cincinnati is really embarrassing. I would. I would die in Cincinnati, and I don't want to die there. So Joe Burrow will be filing a restraining order against me. <laughs> I kid, I kid. Okay. Well, we were talking about um, everyone having to wake up to see me fighting people on Sunday mornings, um, which is because Lewis Hamilton's too good at his job. And so I get bored during Formula One races, which happen at 8 a.m. Central Standard Time. Um, and so I go fight British people for being misogynist and annoying. But the Tuscan Grand Prix was the 13th. Some, it was Sunday. Um, anyway, Lewis won, obviously. But my son, Alex Albon, he got his first podium. And I love him. He's my son. He's literally like a couple months older than me, but he's still my son. He's the first Thai driver to ever have a Formula One podium. But this is mostly about Lewis, who is incredible. He is two wins away from going all time on winning list. Like he needs one more win to tie Shoemaker. And then he basically 
with if some must some tragedy happens, he will win his seventh world title this year, which will also tie Michael Schumacher. Macker, I'm American. Um, anyway, he definitely and like also they're using the same cars for 2021. They're not, so he probably will get an eighth because nobody can compare to Mercedes. But more than anything, he's very good at his job. He has 90 wins. So 91 is what he needs, 92s to win. He has 158 podiums, which is most out of anyone. He also dated Nicki Minaj. And also his rebound from Nicole from the Pussycat Dolls was Rihanna. He's also a fashion icon, many things. He's very great. He's an activist. He uh, wore uh, Arrest the Killers of Brianna Taylor shirt on the podium and for his interviews after his win. And basically he also really forced Formula One's hand and really like made them acknowledge like systematic racism by just calling them out because he is the best person in the sport and he is also the only black driver. So he's very great. It's Lewis Hamilton's world and we're just living in it. It's really, it's really it. Also, I will be getting up reluctantly at 6 a.m. to watch the Sochi Grand Prix, which is in two weeks. So if you all want to get up at 4 a.m., watch some cars go fast. (laughs) Let me know. Boys go zoom, zoom. And last night in the NBA, uh, the Nuggets took on the Clippers. And in that game, the underdog Clippers featuring Canadian superstar Jamal Murray, who put up 40 points in the game, won the game and sent the Nuggets on to the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers. And the cool thing about the Nuggets during this run is they've done something historic. They've actually come back from a 3-1 deficit twice in these playoffs. And that's never been done before. That's so crazy. I'm now riding the Nuggets bandwagon. And yeah, I might get a Jamal Murray jersey if they can pull this off. I loved the number of salty Raptors fans last night. It was oh so my good. God, like yeah. all the puns about how he grew up as a Raptors fan. And then he, it was like his revenge on Kawhi. There is a lot of Paul George hate. <laughs> Oh my god, so, so much, Paul, much George, Paul George hate. My favorite hate was the Uncle Dennis hate. Kawhi's Uncle Dennis, who was involved in the contract negotiations and really like over-involved. He's like one of those dads. So when we do our like hockey dad segment, we're definitely doing a little bit on Uncle Dennis. Okay, we also need to be rooting for the heat because of Jimmy Butler's commitment to crop tops, which he wore once, and that has made me committed to him. <laughs> They won in overtime yesterday. It was really yeah. exciting. There was a crazy block to. Oh yeah, that was. Well, also now I have to like be victory. okay with them because they took out the Bucks. And so, from one amazing champion to another, Naomi Osaka. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. So at the U.S. Open, could have been the year of my '97s, my fellow '97s, but. Unfortunately, Sasha Zverev gave up a two-set lead against Dominic Team from Austria. Um, both of them, they were just completely gassed at the end and it looked like they needed to be put on a stretcher and just wheeled out of Arthur Ashe. Um, and Zverev's speech was pretty sad because I didn't know his parents had COVID, so they couldn't enter the bubble with him. And he's only 23, so like he's still young, right? And he started crying in a speech. So that was kind of sad. And then on the women's side, obviously, Naomi Osaka won, and she wore masks with the names of victims 
of racial injustice, as you've probably seen on social media. And in response to the critics, she said, and I love this tweet, she said, all the people that were telling me to keep politics out of sports, which it wasn't political at all, really inspired me to win. You better believe I'm going to try and be on your TV for as long as possible. Boom. And that last time I checked had 337,000 likes and almost 60,000 retweets. So good job, Naomi. Um, And she also wore a Kobe jersey every day after the game, after her game. Um, And she said that, I think she said like it just empowered her and she felt like it motivated her to do her best. And speaking of Kobe, Gasol's daughter was born a couple days ago. Her middle name is Gianna, which is really sweet. I think Naomi, I think she's going to be the face of women's sports. If not already, I think she's definitely there on the court and off the court too. Um, She's just a rock star. The thing about the US Open that I really liked was, I don't know if you guys saw, but Alexis Ohanian Sr. had this amazing thread about normalizing paternity leave. Um, And I just, I love how on board he is. Like he is like the number one Serena fan and it's awesome. I love him and I love the baby. I never know what yeah. the baby's is it all because it's Alexis Jr., but then they call like yeah. Olympia. I'm not sure. That child, I, know, I don't know either, is so cute. There was photos recently of her and Serena wearing matching outfits, and it was, and she did win the Australia Open technically. So, speaking of Olympia, Usain Bolt's kid, <laughs> do you guys know the name? Olympia Lightning Bolt. <laughs> best name ever that kid has no choice other than to be an icon all right so now on to the knots what i'm thinking is a knot is matt barzell he um the lightning islanders he is eastern conference final he is trying to die he has actively said i am going to get to the stanley cups or cup final or i'm going to physically die on the ice he has like a very like nice face. Like many people think he is very attractive. It does not look good right now. He is beaten up. He is, it is not good. And last night the Islanders won. So the series continued. So unfortunately he could not get any medical help and we can't let this man heal. I don't think this is good. This is not good. Still looks pretty good. Even with like, even with the black eye, he still looks pretty good. His black eye is so gross. It's like yellow. <laughs> is he the hottest player in the NHL? He is. I think he is. He's mm, Alex Lindberg. He's definitely objectively attractive. I agree Lindberg's hotter. Barzell but has more of a flow. Like, Barzell's like a pretty boy. When you're from the Tri-Cities, it's an instant turnoff for me. I'm so sorry. As I'm from the Tri-Cities. <laughs> but I moved here to get away. No, He's kidding. attractive in the, like, Edward Cullen vampire vibe like ryan graves looks exactly the same ryan graves is also like very attractive yeah the tall dark and handsome ryan graves looks like Slenderman. his cheekbones are outrageous and another knot is coming from the hockey world and that would be the puck over glass penalty it's just stupid it's dumb like who's doing that on purpose nobody just get yeah. rid of it that's all i have to say and also get rid of the not allowing high stick goals if you want more goals in the game why take away goals when they're off a high stick like i don't understand like is it supposed to be a danger or something i don't know i'm assuming i'm assuming it's because the high sticking like whistle out and i'm assuming so players don't lose their eyes 
But then also make them wear fucking cages. <laughs> the puck over glass penalty makes no sense in a lot of ways, especially in the playoffs, because first of all, the purpose of the rule is for people who deliberately do it. And like 90% of the time when they call it, it's clearly not deliberate and it's clearly an accident, but it also doesn't make any sense because you have like Brian Burke was on air the other night being like, Oh, we can't um, it's the playoffs. And so that's a good non-call. It's like, well, that's a good fucking non-call then. Like if you're going to non-call some of the serious injury stuff, when it's clearly an accident, just don't call that then. If you're going to be able to pick and choose, you should be able to pick and choose all of them. Well, even like remember, um, was it the last was it the last game against Vegas where um, with the Canucks where Brock Besser like clearly didn't throw it directly over or out of the glass over the glass <laughs> it like bounced off the glass but he still got called and they can't obviously video review it so it still can get fucked up anyway and it's it's just a dumb I felt so bad for White Cloud like he played actually really well against the Canucks and. I would just... He's had some very low lows this playoffs. (laughs) Yeah, he got, like, he almost got killed in that one game. Speaking of, like, disintegration on the ice, like... That screenshot of him just, like, flat face first against the boards. And Tyler Mott just completely flipping him over, too. Yeah, I checked him. It was glorious. I, like, I understand they're getting injured, but I love any picture of anybody like fully horizontal in the air I think it's so funny (laughs) there's this picture from it's like a Caps Flyers game and Travis Konechny is like got hit by Tom Wilson and he is just going like face first like you know like those like witches you put in your hat like on your like wall or whatever I like Halloween into the glass and it's so funny and I think about it all the time (laughs) like I think about it so often <laughs> um continuing in the vein here, here's here's a pattern all of the not hots this week are almost all the not hots this week are hockey for our quasi for our quasi hockey podcast surprise surprise <laughs> yeah but not hot florida panthers apparently had a coaching altercation earlier in the year um and it was just recently disclosed that mike kitchen wouldn't be returning but what I really enjoyed about it was they slipped it right into the very end of their press release where they announced that Bill Zito had hired basically five recycled hockey men. Um, I'm going to call them legacy hires because it was Paul Fenton, Paul Fenton's son, Blake Jeffreyon, who obviously is his, grand- his great-grandfather, his grandfather, and his dad were all NHLers. And then rick dudley who is clearly also recycled and then everyone's favorite 2011 legacy slash nepotism hire gregory campbell and it's just like do you seriously like there's just no talent outside of your buddy's sons i just i don't understand and yeah sucks to suck florida from one coaching situation to another so peter peter laviolette got hired in washington and the news got out that mike babcock was one of the candidates. I think they interviewed three. They interviewed Laviolette, Babcock, and Gerard Gallant, and Laviolette got it. But Babcock, I don't know why he keeps getting considered. Like he, Johan Franzen once called him the worst person I ever met. The guy has a track record of various forms 
of abuse against players. Mitch Marner, Chris Chelios has spoken out about him too. I don't understand why he keeps getting considered when people have said the guy is a cancer in the locker room. And it's not like a Mark Crawford situation where Crawford basically came out and was like, I sought help and I've put in a lot of work over 10 years and players have kind of backed that up. Like you just haven't seen anything from Babcock. My last not hot was what whatever the fuck Minnesota's been doing. <laughs> I need to discuss this tweet. This is a quote from Bill Guerin to Mike Russo. Guerin, if I don't make moves, we're just going to stay the same. And that's not the idea. So doesn't sound great. I think Jackson sent to like a group chat that I'm in with him about, he's like, I don't understand this trade. Like, why would they do this? And I was literally like, just for fun. There's too much time on their hands. They're overthinking things. Minnesota, they're, well, also, didn't they fire their GM pretty recently? Straight up, they do not care. Like, they're just like, take it, whatever. So all the people who are like, Besser for Dumba or whatever, no, you need to start lower. Like, this is like, this is like negotiating with Jim Benning. Like, they're pretty much going to take whatever. Yeah, Bill Guerin straight up doesn't care. Don't offer him Besser. Like, offer him Jay Rutanen. Their accent is more Canadian than the fake Canadian accent is that people always associate. Like, out out and about. (laughs) No one talks like that here. I think the fact that they retired their fans into the stands. Oh, it's number one fans. They retired that in their arena. I think that just speaks to... (laughs) their franchise Uh, occasion that was the Canucks retiring the seventh man (laughs) fan thing that they did one time I think and then they bailed on it yeah they didn't retire that number the Minnesota Wild retired number one you guys are all Seahawks fans so (laughs) look in the mirror 12s hey that's cool and it actually works (laughs) and it works it's embarrassing when I go to Seattle and I see all the people wearing 12th fan and it just says 12th man or 12th fan and everybody there has it and it's actually overwhelming the amount of people that have it like you're spending money to put that on a jersey when you could spend the same amount to get a player's name on the jersey (laughs) okay no I would never do that that is embarrassing I don't like people okay two two pet peeves about jerseys I don't like when people get their own name put on it (laughs) I don't know why I don't like it and also like I hate when they just get something random and it's always like something something 69 how do you feel about the um ass eaten season 69 because I think it's a great jersey it's like why did you spend that much money <laughs> like I don't actually I think that it's funny because they spent that much money I don't think it's actually funny to look at like it's not a good joke it's a good joke because that person thought that that was worth like $250. Horrifying, absolutely horrifying. These really are the days of our lives. You don't need that show. It was just a dumb soap opera. We're gonna get really serious here. So if you are sensitive to mental health talk and things around that nature. This is a good time to skip ahead or turn us off for a bit. So we're gonna start with uh, Skip Bayless and his comments regarding Dak, grief, and his mental health. So for those of you who don't know, Skip Bayless is a man who usually spews antagonistic nonsense on a daily basis. 
He's made his career pretty much out of being a cocky contrarian. He has sworn from the bottom of his soul that he's not playing a part. So back in 2013, Rick Macy had a story in the Washington Post, and it was about a day in the life of Skip Bayless. And this is an excerpt from it. People don't know who he is, Bayless concedes, and can't fathom how much he sacrificed for this job. How he's devoted every waking hour to winning made-for-TV sports debates. His daily routine is split between exercise. He's 62 years old, but has the body of a man half his age. And work. He's divorced and childless and sees his good friends only once or twice a year. No regrets, he says. This is my calling. I was born to do this. So this is the kind of man we're talking about here. What is wrong with this man? Everything. He's pissed off so many pro athletes over his career through so many different sports. It's just what he does. Dak Prescott, quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, was on a YouTube show called In Depth with Graham Bensinger. And he talked about how COVID led to some anxiety for him and also his brother's suicide caused him depression. He uh, discussed how he sought help through his counseling. And then Skip took it upon himself on his show on Fox called Undisputed. Skip said, I don't have sympathy for him going public with, I got depressed. I suffered depression early in COVID to the point that I couldn't even go work out. Look, he's the quarterback of America's team. You know and I know the sport that you play. It's dog eat dog. It's no comparison. He went on to add, if you reveal publicly any little weakness, it can affect your team's ability to believe in you in the toughest spot. And of course, he doubled down the next day after all the outrage for those horrendous comments. He said, this is the final point, one that I'm told was misconstrued by many. The only DAC depression I addressed on yesterday's show was from an interview he taped with Graham Bensinger. DAC said that depression happened soon after the pandemic hit, early in quarantine. I said yesterday, if Dak needed help for pandemic depression, he should have sought counseling then. And then Dak responded, I think being a leader is about being genuine and being real. I think it's important to be vulnerable, to be genuine, to be transparent. He added, I think it goes a long way when you're a leader and when your voice is heard by so many and you can inspire. So um, on this broadcast, we all... Um, also have ill brains like Dak, who is a true leader and expressing his struggles. And also I think it's like important that men like break into like especially the sports world is very hyper masculine and viewing like any like mental like health issues is seen as weak. And so I think that it's very important for him to say something. And Skip Bayless really obviously showed that like whole thing of it being weak and you being a bad leader if you've ever like suffered from this and I think it's bad that's obviously not great and it's insidious it's like just keeps repeating itself yeah so it's really courageous of Dak to do that and as like here we all deal with ill brains and mental illness and it is important to share experiences so we are going to share some of ours today with you so for me, I deal with depression and have since early in my life. And I also deal with social anxiety. 
And for those of you that don't know what social anxiety is, it's pretty much you think when you're doing like regular activities, just like shopping, working out, whatever, you think everyone around you is just like judging you harshly and like staring at you when they're obviously not and you just can't shake it. And it affects you to the point where you won't do things. So like I will buy tickets for things and then just not go just because of my social anxiety and stuff like that. When I was younger, I couldn't really keep friends because it'd just be like, oh, all in my head and stuff. Like they just hate me. And like sometimes it's still hard meeting new people and even like dating is kind of like really like stressful that way. Um, but yeah, like for the Botchford project too, when I first got the email, I almost pressed like just said no and I wasn't going to tell anybody. Just like not do it and just be like, just no. But then I said yes because I knew once I did, like I would have to go through with it. So I bought like a $450 dress. <laughs> for confidence and um I didn't even get to like show it off because it was so cold I was wearing a coat over it the whole time <laughs> that's so cute yeah so but the coat was really cute it was like a babaton burgundy coat from Aritzia so it wasn't a bad coat but Ooh. yeah but yeah so that's like pretty much yeah, something I struggle with but I found for me that when I uh, saw a therapist it's really helps and just having someone to talk to and kind of just like check me and give me some tools to use to tell myself things that make it easier for me to go out and do like normal things and go to concert if I want to do that and stuff like that. With the DAC situation, like Mel said, it's just often we just hear the same kind of narrative that mental health is weakness and there's a stigma around it. And I think for me, this is going to sound a little bit weird, but I'm pretty lucky to not be most of the time to not be fearful of the stigma that I attach to my mental illnesses. Um, I'm pretty open about uh, suffering from depression, um, anxiety, ADHD, um, a variety of other <laughs> imposter syndrome that goes with that. Um, and I honestly attribute a lot of that to Rick Rippin. And <laughs> it's going to sound kind of strange because obviously I didn't know him, but his death and the work that the Canucks did after he died with mindcheck.ca, that's now Foundry. Um, those were the first resources that I was able to access uh, to figure out why I suddenly couldn't leave my bed, <laughs> which um, was probably the first signifier that I was really depressed. Um, just that general catharsis that you just can't do anything, you can't move your body, um, you just feel empty. Um, so yeah, the work that the Connects did, that was the first, those were the first resources I accessed. So it's kind of this funny thing where sport remains really behind in a lot of ways, but also weirdly for me, sport is what allowed me to access certain things. Um, yeah, I've been medicated. I've been not medicated. I've gone to tons of therapy, um, a variety of things. I just, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have much more to say other than Fuck you, Skip Bayless. Yeah, I similarly saw and honestly still see sports as a way to escape the problems that I've been facing in my personal life. Um, something I've learned, and it feels weird saying this being only 23, but like your late teens and your early 20s are such a fragile point in your life. Um, and for me, there were a couple events in first and second year which really accelerated my anxiety and depression. And looking back, I think there were also signs back in high school that I brushed to the side um, and I didn't really think about until I got a bit older. 
I think like a lot of people, I was scared to talk about it for the fear of being judged. Um, so really for two years, it was just me and my own thoughts, which in my case often had to do with degrading my value as a person, um, just picking myself apart and magnifying the flaws that I thought I had. So for two years straight, my mind was going a thousand miles an hour all day, every day. And there was just a lot of negative thinking, self-loathing, overthinking that just consumed my daily life. Because after two years, I finally reached a breaking point and I didn't tell anyone, but I decided to go to a walk-in clinic. Um, I knew I needed to be medicated just because at that time, a bad day was a normal day for me. And like I knew I was lacking serotonin. You don't go through two years having a bad day every day with normal serotonin levels. Um, so I talked to him and he, first of all, he told me to um, take advantage of some of the services that SFU was offering in counseling and everything. So I looked into that and he also prescribed me meds. And when I got home that day, I finally told my parents what was up. And only my mom knew a bit beforehand and my dad had zero clue. So I think just learning the extent to which I was really sad, um, I think it was really hard for them. It was, I know it was really hard for them just learning that their daughter was going through something like that. Um, so it was a really emotional conversation, but at the end of it, the floodgates just opened and it was such a massive weight off my shoulders. Um, and my family is usually pretty independent. Like we don't show love for each other in the conventional ways. Um, but I'd never seen us come together like we did at the end of that. It was like a three, four hour conversation. Like it was really heavy. What I learned is that, and I knew this before, but you don't, I guess you don't know until everything's off your chest that you're never alone. And like you have a support system who loves you and they only want the best for you. Um, and honestly, I think we're a lot closer as a family because of that now. Um, but it's been five years since I first started experiencing signs of depression and anxiety. Um, and I'm happy to report now that I'm off my meds and I'm in a good spot. But, you know, you have, you have your good days and bad days. I think everyone does. Um, what Skip Bayless said, I think it was woefully ignorant and frankly insulting to everyone who's battled mental health issues. Um, there's strength and bravery in being vulnerable. And even if you're not ready to talk about it, don't let guys like Skip Bayless be your final straw. I think what he said is really harmful and definitely not okay. And I think that I, I honestly think and hope that people like Dak Prescott, Rick Rippon's story, Michael Phelps, like I think they're saving lives by showing the world that they're not alone in fighting their own battles. Um, so I second Georgia and want to send a big fuck you to Skip Bayless. I, I was lucky kind of growing up all through high school, college, whatever. I didn't really have personally any mental health issues. Um, I've certainly had people in my family and people really close to me um, have very serious depression. Um, and when I was when I was in high school, my dad has always been like a super high functioning person. And then after, but he's like very emotionally repressive. Like he never talks about his feelings, whatever. And kind of the first encounter I had with it was after my, after his mom died, he kind of had like a full on meltdown. And 
experienced depression for like a very long period of time. And I remember being so confused in high school as it was like overnight, he had just become this totally different person. Like he went from super high functioning, always busy, always out with friends, always working to like, he just couldn't do anything. Um, And I just remember at the time, just that was still when it wasn't something that you could talk about. And it was like, he was, he was frustrated because he had no idea why he couldn't do anything he would normally do. And that was sort of my first experience with that. And then for me personally, in the last few years, um, and I think it's probably something that isn't really well addressed in the legal profession, there, the statistics show that there is a extraordinarily high rate of depression and mental health issues in the legal profession. Um, the steps to deal with that are the law society is now doing a ton of work to kind of improve the stigma around it, but it's still a pretty taboo subject. I know for me, it, I certainly over the last, once I started practice, because it's the expectations on, on you from partners, from clients, it's, it can be a lot. And I know a lot of people, including myself, have developed like quite serious anxiety issues. Um, I'm, I haven't gone on medication, but I've been seeing a therapist for a a long time. Um, And it's, I think one thing I want to say about that and part of why Skip Bayless's comments are so harmful is that even for me, like COVID has been a bit of a nightmare for me. It's probably the worst my mental health has ever been. And I find I find it incredibly difficult to actually do my real job. Um, and I think that's probably surprising for a lot of people because I think publicly I present like I have my shit together. And that's very much not always the case. And I don't think that's really the case for anyone. Um, and for... For him to make those comments when Dak Prescott is was brave enough to talk about it and talk about how he wasn't fine and actually engage in being vulnerable, to make those kinds of comments just reinforces the idea that people have to present themselves as having their shit together because otherwise you're a failure. And that's like that's not the case. I've definitely had people be like, How do you do how do you do your job and you do the podcast and everything? And I just I don't. Like it doesn't always it doesn't always all happen and it might look that way, but it's just, it, that's, that's, it's just what it looks like. And the more we can say like, I'm not fine and I might be able to put on a good show with you guys cause it's fun. And this is how I get my serotonin. It doesn't mean that every other part of my life is necessarily going well. I think that, um, well, like in my times in therapy and stuff, I've had therapists tell me and stuff about how everybody is present. You're only seeing what people are presenting to you like you comparing yourself to other people it definitely and like you only see what they want you to see you don't see like them really struggling to like get out of bed or something um I've been on and off medication in general I try to be like very open about it um and I've lost friends to suicide and it's just difficult and it's something that you need to like talk about and especially um especially like men in general are very much taught to not talk about it and suicide rates are higher for them and it's just very especially also in the lgbt community there's very high suicide rates 
And I think that it's just important to get help and admit that you need help. I hope people who saw the story didn't take out of it that they shouldn't speak because of what Skip Bayless said, but that they should speak because of what Dak Prescott did. And that's, that's all you can really hope for. I think one thing I was encouraged by um, were the number of other athletes who pushed back um, and other sports media who pushed back and basically called him out and said that and reinforced that what Dak Prescott did was brave and the right thing to do. And that my favorite tweet was Mike Freeman from the NFL tweeted, anyone who says the opposite of Dak Prescott being brave and smart is a troglodyte. While we have this platform, I think it's really important to stress, especially with most of our audience being on Twitter, just like be nice to each other. It's like Twitter is such a rough place sometimes. And I think we've all experienced some sort of like cyberbullying on Twitter. It's a cheesy quote, but it's so true. Like be kind because you don't know who's fighting in their own battle. As Bryant (laughs) had a really good tweet. It says, I get on Twitter to laugh, joke, and spit real life shit with people, but I'm being really clear with you, Skip Bayless. Fuck you. I pray you never have to face mental illness or anything close to what people face with when they have mental illness concerns. You'll fold like a bitch. That is amazing. Like one of the reasons we love Tyler Mott is because he talked about his mental health and he's really open with the fact that he suffers from depression. And I think one of the reasons why we wanted to do the merch and raise money for these initiatives is we've all profited or in some way gained help or support or whatever from mental health initiatives. (laughs) And so giving back um, is important to us in that sense. And so um, it's not just like an empty thing for us where we're like making this stuff and just donating the money. Like it's, it's extremely meaningful and, and really close to our, to our hearts. And to hockey we go. Hockey culture is at it again. And this week, um, Yannick Duplessis came out on a post on Instagram, which is very awesome and exciting. We love to see it here. And of course, um, being social media and the NHL world, there were a ton of horrible homophobic comments on his post. The way that he came out was in this article. He talked to Craig Eagles, who um, has a podcast, but then also wrote this blog post. Um, it's, I think the blog is called, or the podcast is called Out in the Open. It's part of some network. What happened was he was outed at a party a year ago by a f- close confidant who he had told that he was gay. Um, and people began to text him and ask him, ex-teammates. And he just decided he didn't want to lie anymore. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly like, his decision to come out so publicly if that was just a choice because he'd already been outed to his hockey team and to like his community. Um, But something that's really important to remember is he's a minor. He's 17 years old. And the vitriol that's been spread his way by people who are just evoking the most horrific tropes of gay men being predators is it's just despicable. And he's 17 years old. He has no media training. This has been pointed out by a lot of people. He's no media training. He's not a professional athlete. He, he's been drafted into the QMJHL, but he's not currently a player there. He hasn't been drafted into the NHL. Uh, yeah, he's a 17-year-old kid. So that's like a lot of pressure on his shoulders. From the interviews 
he seems to be handling it quite well. He seems to have a really good support system around him with his family. His parents were okay from the start um, and supportive of him from the start. Um, yeah, it, it's just hockey culture. <laughs> Gotta love it. I mean, I'm very happy for him and I'm very glad that we have like, especially since he's so young, I think that it's very important, but it was definitely some other person was threatening to out him. And I think that that's really horrible. Now he has to face all this vitriol from everyone. And it wasn't, if maybe it was, he did feel comfortable and he actually, but I don't know. So it is unfortunate very much looked down to down upon but people's like casual homophobia doesn't have like the same it's not like that if they know a gay person is around they're not going to say that but the things that they say when they know you're not gay like hurt more like than somebody like just saying something to you you know they wouldn't like say that to your face if they knew and so i understand like what he means by the whole locker room situation and like because I'm sure all of those people, even they wouldn't like consider themselves to be homophobic and they'd be like, I support gay people. Like if somebody were to come out, we would support them. But then you spend this time saying these things that don't line up with that. I just wanted to add, there was somebody who tweeted, I can't even remember who it was, it was some former hockey player, um, not a big name. Basically quote tweeted, whoever had the tweet with the snippets of all the social media comments that were horrendous and I get the intent. I think he was trying to be helpful and essentially say like, I, you know, every team that I've been on, we like your teammates and I would stand with these people. He basically said, it's not hockey culture, it's social media culture. And it really rubbed me the wrong way because the more you try to absolve hockey culture and say it's not really related to that, the less we're going to be able to actually confront the ways that conformity and putting your team first and not being a distraction in various hockey leagues is the reason why it's so difficult. And it's frankly just super disingenuous when you have so many instances of former junior players coming out and talking about hazing and talking about the types of abuse that they go through to say anyone who's ever played hockey and has been on a team knows that if you, if you like came out to them or if whatever, like you would be supported. Like that's clearly not been the case. And so to try to say that, I just, I, it just, I really rubbed me the wrong way. Pivoting to more hockey drama. Favorite topic, hockey media back on its bullshit. Um, It was a very, very bad week, I think for hockey media. Um, I think if we're going chronologically, Elliot Friedman's comments came first um Elliot Friedman made some comment in passing and he tried to say it was about um he was talking about how to grow women's hockey but he essentially said something to the effect of I'm not sure we really understand how much women like sports and we're only just learning we're only just realizing that women like sports and we have no idea how to tap into it and He took a lot of heat from it. Um, The first person to call him out was Tom Hunter from um, Mile High Hockey. Um, And Tom basically tweeted, like, anyone who's been listening would know how to tap into it. And if you don't know, then you haven't been listening. And then they got into it in DMs. And I don't think 
I, I'm not sure Elliot handled it very well. Um, if that might be a euphemism, but oh god, he yeah, he basically said Tom did a harmful thing um, by interpreting his comments that way. When really, what Tom did was quote him directly. And then there were a lot of women who jumped into the thread and asked for clarification about his comments, and he basically didn't answer any of them. I will say, like, one, the weird thing about Elliot Friedman, and full disclosure, like, he DM'd us and wished us well when we started our podcast, if you guys didn't know. So it becomes extra weird. I think we can all agree he's not, and I think this is where he went wrong, and this is where people often go wrong when this stuff happens, is they assume that you're thinking the absolute worst of them. So they think that people are just yelling, Elliot Friedman, you're a fucking misogynist, and we want to watch you crash and burn, blah, blah, blah. When all he had to do was say, oh, wow, I fucked up. That's not what I meant to say. I'm going to clarify myself. I messed up. I've learned. It won't happen again. Here's how I'll do better. It's all you have to do. It's all you have to do. And instead, (laughs) he like jumped into the DMs and told this guy that he never wanted him to like ever consume anything that he ever did. (laughs) It was straight up lunacy. And I think like when you fuck up, apologize, do better, move on. Justin Morissette, shout out to Justin. We hope you're doing well. His He quote tweeted Tom Hunter and he said, having gotten a good idea of how ratings are measured and applied as part of the business of sports media since I've been in the industry, it has always baffled me that a significant and sizable audience of women is completely invalidated and ignored because they're not the key demo. We can see in the ratings that they're there. They do exist. They make up a significant chunk of the audience, but it's because it's just an assumed fact that the advertisers only care about men aged 18 to 49. No one cares about how many women tune into sports, radio, hockey, football, wrestling. What if the way we sell ads is wrong? What if I told you you could sell ads for other things beyond vasectomy clinics and motor oil? What if the entire industry is leaving a huge swath of money on the table by refusing to market anything to women at all? Yeah, mm, damn, what if? And then our friend, Paul Chapman, he replied, when I was doing the AM show, I recall lobbying to try new things to attract a broader audience. And then in quotes, he put, because it's something we've been chasing at the province for a long time. Was told, you are the audience. We need to cater to you, 50-year-old dad who loves sports. So they do know we're there. They legitimately do, and they are flat out, you're right, refusing to ignore us. You guys won't, so that's why we're here right now. So the guys that report on it are the guys that are also on the radio too. So there's their biases there. And yeah, like we always say, they do. They're the ones that say, yeah, yeah, woman voices, and they support us. But when they do have their platforms, are they like letting us on there? No. It's just obvious. It just kind of makes me laugh. Yeah, that's why, that's really the only sports talk radio I've been listening to is, yeah, Rob Fay Nation Radio. 10 p.m. to 12 a.m. weeknights. (laughs) Hell yeah. Guess what? You get two women. Two. Chantel is amazing. Shout out to Chantel, just doing her thing on Sports Talk Radio and has been just behind the scenes producing like a badass. And also Karen Sermon. 
Shout out to her as well. She's been at 1040 forever. And when um, Pratt used to be there, she would uh, she would get to like talk a bit and give her opinions in the morning, I remember. And like I would actually put on Pratt at my desk a bit, only if I knew like Karen was on and I'd make my ex like text me. I'm like, okay, if Karen is like on today and like giving it, like tell me and I'll like put it on my work computer. Can we give one last shout out? Can we give one last shout out to <laughs> Karen Larson? who I think was basically the only female sports person that I knew growing up in the city. I don't remember anyone other than her. Anyway, she replied back to Justin's tweet and was basically like, yeah, because sports is constructed for the male gaze. (laughs) You are a badass. I love you. And here's the thing for the marketers who might stumble upon this and you're just bad at your job. If you're ignoring, like I, I have a background in marketing, if you are ignoring 50% of your potential target market, you are not doing your job. So to the extent that you're just assuming that, well, there is a segment of women who like sports, but let's just assume that our target is men. Why are you ignoring the ability to grow your market? Like that is just bad business. It doesn't make any sense. You're leaving dollars on the table. It literally like do your fucking job listen to your market, do the fucking market research and give us what we want. It's not that hard. What, like one of the things I've been repeatedly interested in over the last like couple years is the story of the quote unquote radio wars in Vancouver. For people who don't live here, it's like the most stupid bullshit ever. It's just a bunch of like pounding chests, like men. Uh, they're just like, it's so dumb. Like my radio station's better. We have more listeners. Let's start Twitter wars. Anyway, I hate it. And all of this is based off a ratings book to show like which which show gets higher ratings. And those ratings are only male listeners from 25 to 49, I believe. Um, I believe the ages, it's definitely men. Um, I found that really interesting because this is the story that we talk about all the time. It was in the athletes, like it's in the armies. Uh, it gets talked about a lot and yet it's not telling the story of female listenership. Um, female listeners, actually, I was told by multiple people listen to 650 more than they did to 1040, which I thought was really interesting. There's shows on 650 that actually had like the highest ratings amongst women in the city. Like that's really interesting stuff. Like let's talk about that. Let's kind of continue on like the, so 650 is doing better. Okay. So continue to market towards women then if that's where you're making up the, like the market share or whatever. And yet, no. We just get repeated like (laughs) hockey men beating their chests, yelling about ratings. And it's like, okay, this is boring. I don't need your testosterone bullshit. Go away. Along the same vein of sports media just forgetting that women exist and are sports fans, we're going to talk about Austin Matthews getting second place voting in the Lady Bang which is astonishing for an award that is for gentlemanly conduct. The requirement for the award does not expressly require that the conduct be solely limited to play on ice. Um, And so Melissa Gashwind, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, um, had an amazing thread where she went through the votes identified the 21 PHWA writers who voted him in first place, tagged all of them, 
and asked for an explanation as to why they voted him first place for gentlemanly conduct in the same season where he was charged with harassing a female security guard um, at his apartment complex. Obviously, he the charges were ultimately dropped, but there was video evidence and there was enough to actually lay a charge. Um, so she ended up getting, I think, 16 out of the 21 writers responded. Some of the responses were, she published all of them. So if you look up the thread, you can search her name in Austin Matthews. I think it's actually her pinned tweet. So you can go through and read all of their responses. And she also has an amazing blog post just summarizing that. But for the most part, the responses were, I have always voted solely on the basis of on-ice performance and I didn't think about it. And I think that says a lot that you would that wouldn't trigger for you that you should maybe consider that somebody who thought it was appropriate to drunkenly harass a woman at 2 a.m in the morning that should be something that at least triggers in your mind and to the extent that it doesn't that's part of that's part of the reason sports media is as karen larson said constructed for the male gaze because these aren't concerns that men necessarily have to face. The fear of walking alone at night is, for the most part, something that is unique to women and to members of the LGBTQ plus communities and marginalized people. It's not something that generally tends to be a consideration or a concern for a cisgendered straight white male. Like That's just not something you have to live in fear of. A handful of the writers who responded did at least say your question is valid and it was it was a mistake or it was sloppy on my part and you have prompted me to reconsider how I vote going forward, which I thought was, you know, I applaud Melissa for doing the work and for holding these people accountable. And to the five people who didn't answer her, fuck you. You're a terrible sports media person and I hope no one ever reads your work. I will say that um, in the list also, we should note that there were women who put in first, um, which doesn't speak not to sports being constructed under a male gaze, but probably speaks more to the internalized misogyny that they carry or just the general lack of thinking about the broader context of the award. And I think, I, I actually wonder how they do these, like if they just look up stats and that's all they do, because I'm pretty sure that the lady being is honestly, they just go for like highest points, lowest penalty minutes, and then just call it a day. That's what most of them said. Um, Frankly, I thought the most disappointing response came from a female writer or broadcaster. I actually can't remember which she does, but she actually said, I thought about it and I decided that, you know, for somebody who is 21, probably learned a lesson and wasn't worthwhile to factor into my voting, which I found really disappointing because it's not just about it's not just about Austin Matthews. Like it's not about the fact that he owned up to it, which frankly he didn't like he owned up to it after somebody looked it up and it was reported up until that point, he and his dad had essentially been total shitheads to this security guard. You can look it up. Like they were atrocious to her and basically had no intention of apologizing to her or treating it seriously. But frankly, as one of the very few female voices in sports media, I think it's incumbent on her to think about the way that looks to female sports fans. Like you, you want to say that you want sports to be inclusive for women and you want to create spaces for women. Don't reinforce that behavior. You can say, yeah, you know what? He, maybe he'll learn from it, 
but you don't reward that behavior with a first place vote. Like that's absurd. And so for whoever that was, I'm not going to name her because I don't want to. You can look it up. She's one of the responses. I think that was a terrible decision. So um, Thomas Drance has been doing the hard work of um, listening and reporting on all of the chirps in, I guess now just the bubble since they consolidated it. Um, But unfortunately, I was actually thinking this is why I didn't want there to be a delay because I wanted to make bets on who would say the first slur on ice in full volume. Um, The answer is the Dallas Stars did. Um, so that's very troubling in general. They uh, called um, Ryan Reeves, who is biracial, a mutt, I believe. I don't know what the actual like full sentence was or anything, but has horrible connotations in general. And I don't know, it shouldn't be overlooked. And then nobody really would ask them about it either, which is another disappointing thing. <laughs> It's just a tale as old as time with the NHL where their black fans flag something and they point something out that maybe other people wouldn't have picked up on uh, as being racist or being a problem. And they just get talked down to by predominantly white fans, predominantly white men who are yelling at them and telling them that they don't actually know. And it's so disheartening. It's like, it's incredibly disheartening. It's also... You watch that and you just see the labor that they have to go to to even have themselves be like recognized in any way, let alone be treated equally. Like it's just, it's atrocious. And I think, yeah, the debate that night was who it was directed at. It doesn't matter. It Everyone who was listening to it, it was most likely directed at Ryan Reeves. Um, the next day, Tom tweeted out an apology. He like acknowledged his blind spot and... He discussed the fact that he didn't feel like it w- he was comfortable bringing it up via Zoom, by, via the platform of Zoom, um, and that the players who were involved weren't um, made available. And I think Himal Javeri <laughs> really, she's such a badass. She like takes no shit from anyone. She uh, was talking to the other reporters who were involved. One was a guy who, I think he works for the Associated Press, and just said, why didn't you ask for a PR statement. Like, why didn't you ask the team? Why didn't you like do these other steps? Um, and I think, yeah, it's still a problem where the reality is the reporters want to have good relationships with the teams too. Like there's that side of it. Um, so I think what happened was Tom tweeted a portion of what was said on the ice. He didn't put in the full thing because he said he was going to save it for Game of Chirps in the full article. And it was something about you keep picking your guys, you dirty mutt was the statement. And then another reporter tweeted that it was directed at Reeves, but Tom had actually reported that it was directed at William Carrier. So there was a whole bit where people weren't actually sure who it was said to. But I think the more discouraging thing for me looking at it was the number of people who were like, well, first of all, you don't know who it was said to, but even if it was said to Reeves, it's not a racist term. Like, I just, I could not deal with a number of people who flat out were telling people of color that it's not racist. So 
So this week, name five players who would be a star in another sport. So I'm going to kick it off with a current current playoff stud, Issa Lindell. So he's going to be a soccer player because he is an expert diver. Back at the end of April, uh, I believe it was, April 29th, uh, the Stars played the Blues, and in a little scrum with Robert Bertuzzo, he dove three times in the same scrum, and literally every time Bertuzzo, like, touched him, he went flying backwards, and, like, whipped his neck down and went flying against the ice, and then went flying forwards. Like, it's actually ridiculous. You can YouTube it and look it up, so. Issa Lindell, soccer player. You could also say he would be a diver. That was very bad. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to go on video. <laughs> going like on. the action. Too. It Vanessa, was perfect. Vanessa is miming a dive, yeah. and we're gonna clip that. Oh my gosh! Right. So my pick is Jeff Skinner. Um, he originally did figure skating, and I think that he can get back into that, and also we can get maybe like yet another remake of The Cutting Edge. So that's what I'm wanting. Mine is mine is Anders Lee because he apparently was like a phenom quarterback in high school. He, let me read this. He holds the state record for most all-purpose yards in a game, gaining 581 yards, 477 passing, and 104 rushing in a loss. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so apparently he was a star football player. So Anders Lee, quarterback, Minnesota, tall boy. I have two. Brock Besser would not be a star in baseball, despite the fact that he grew up playing baseball, apparently. And then the Canucks did a video of the Canucks prospects at Nat Bailey back in 2015 or whatever. And he threw out the first pitch. He threw it like seven feet ahead of him and right into the grass. Like it didn't even make it. It was awful. (laughs) Um, And then my serious one is not in the NHL, but still a hockey player. Haley Wickenheiser, because she played for Canada's softball team at the 2000 Summer Olympics. And Haley's also a med resident right now. Absolutely killing it. I also have two. One, one that's actually serious and one that's funny. I'm going to go with a funny one first. Um, Miko Ratanen posted okay. on his Instagram today a hilarious video of him playing tennis. And he's basically just, he's basically hacky sacking the tennis ball. And he's also wearing really short spandex shorts. So, you know, go look at the video because it's funny. And I think he could be a tennis player. He also tagged Wimbledon in it, which is hilarious. Um, And then my serious answer is uh, Jamie Benn and baseball. Because Jamie Benn was actually, um, I think, a more highly rated baseball prospect than he was a hockey prospect. And that's part of the reason why he fell to the fifth round um, was because scouts had serious concerns that he was going to become a professional baseball player instead and apparently to this day his dad is really upset about it because his dad is in baseball or something the money and the injuries no head injuries and all that money what are you doing jamie ben like honestly big mistake pal it's not his biggest mistake this year so before we sign off special shout out to this week's 31 thoughts and i'm not choosing a hockey player this week I'm choosing Cam Newton. He wore a fine, I guess, four-piece suit, I would say, 
Because he had the hat, or more than that, five. He wore the hat, the jacket, the pants, the comic book shoes, and then he had that bag and tied it all together. And yeah, just, you can, if you want, search shirtless Cam Newton for some fun, and Google will hook you up there. He has a motto, and it's look good, feel good, play good. And I think we should adopt that as well. You can interact with us on Twitter and Instagram at BroadscastPod or email us at BroadscastPod at gmail.com. We love chatting with you guys and we want to hear your feedback on what you liked, disliked, and other content you want to see and hear. You can find us all on Twitter. I'm at SamanthaCP underscore. I'm at Vanessa Jang. I'm at Sports underscore Lesbian. I'm at Danny Huntley. And I'm at Georgia Twist. On behalf of the Broads, thank you, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Love you. Bye.